Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Um, as we dive into the Word today, um, today's a little bit different um, because we're not in a series or a theme uh, for, the, for this week and next week. And so with that being said, um, this Thanksgiving season, it, it just calls me to take a moment, take a step back, and really consider God's grace. And I don't know how you feel about it, but I am thankful for God's grace in my life. Anybody thankful for God's grace? Without his grace, where would we be? Um, and so that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to call this message, Thankful for Grace. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It's an odd scripture as it relates to grace, but we'll make sense of it in just a moment. It says there, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now this passage of scripture comes after Adam and Eve took from the tree that God told them not to take from. And what we see at many times as the judgment of God is actually a picture of God's grace. Yes, when they took of the fruit, they messed up. God sent them out of the garden, even put an angel, a cherubim there to guard it. But what a lot of people miss is this truth. If they had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then taken of the tree of life, they would have been messed up for all of eternity. So in essence, by God sending them out, he was protecting them from eternal separation from God. And so not only did he do that, the, the scripture says that he made garments of skin and he covered them. Um, the first attempt for them to be covered is that they sewed fig leaves together. Y'all remember this, right? In Genesis, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Um, but they soon found out that any attempt um, that we have to cover ourselves will not um, accomplish the goal. Like, we cannot cover ourselves. Only God can cover us. It is God who covers. And so God sacrificed an animal, and that's significant because the Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So there was a, an animal that was slaughtered for this, and then God covered them. And so it is a picture of God's grace and his willingness to cover his people. Now, I have some good news for those of you that are here today, and maybe uh, you feel distant from God. Have you ever felt distant from God? Just me, Lord. All right. Um, yeah, many of us, we, we felt distant from God, we, or we feel like our des best days are behind us because of a mistake or sin that we've committed, and we have trouble experiencing God's uh, intimacy with God. And the, the good news is, is that it has always been God's desire not only to cover you with His grace, but also for you to experience His presence on an intimate level. 
Uh, and, and that's important because it is God's presence that changes us. It's Without his presence, we would be nothing. I mean, David prayed one time, God, you can take everything from me, just don't take your presence. Like, you can take the houses, the gold, all the stuff, just don't take your presence because your presence gives me life. Uh, speaking of King David, he was so passionate about the presence of God, that when he became king of Israel, the second king of Israel, his, his number one objective was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And that's important because the Ark of the Covenant was a picture of God's glory and God's presence in the earth. And so David wanted to know that God was with him. Um, and, and the reason he was so passionate about the presence of God and pursued God's presence is because David understood a couple of things. He understood, one, God loved him. He also understood that God was for him. And David even believed that God liked him. Now, I, I, I got to speak to that for just a moment because a lot of us, we believe God loves us. But we're not so sure that God likes us. And what I mean by that is we know he loves us. His word says he loves us. But God is just putting up with me, right? Like, he, you know, I got all this mess and God is just putting up with me. Well, I got some good news for you. God not only loves you and not only is God for you, but God likes you a whole lot. With all your mess, all your struggle, listen, all your weaknesses, God likes you. And so with that understanding, David made a, a bold proclamation. He said, I won't give sleep to my eyes until the presence of God is brought back to Jerusalem. What a bold statement. I'm not even going to sleep until I know God is with me. It's so powerful to, to see his passion for the presence of God. Uh, and, and his passion, it, it stemmed from a place of knowing God loved him, God was for him, and God liked him. The unfortunate truth is not everyone is passionate about the presence of God. I think a, a lot of people are not passionate about the presence of God because they don't understand God's love for them. And passion's not some of those things, it's not one of those things that you can necessarily teach. Um, it, it's not something that you can make people have. Right, like you can't make people be passionate about God. It's it's something that they have to come to themselves. And so David was passionate about the presence of God. But if you did a, a kind of a, a compare and contrast of the first two kings of Israel, the big difference was between King Saul, the first king, and King David, the second king, is that King Saul only wanted to appear to have the presence of God. David, on the other hand, didn't want to appear to have the presence of God. He wanted the real presence of God. How many of you are like David? I don't want to appear that I got God's presence. I want to know that I got the real thing. And so, so that was one of the big differences between Saul and David. Um, here's what I have learned as a pastor. As a pastor, um, you can't make people be passionate. God spoke to my heart one time, and he said, when you preach, I want you to preach to the destiny, to the purpose, uh, to the passion on the inside of people. Uh, but the, what I have to understand, what we all have to understand about that is this, is that it, if it's on the inside of them, when the word goes forth, how many know it's going to stir that thing up? But if it's not there, nothing's going to happen. Like, you either have it or you don't. Come on, ask your neighbor, do you have it? Come on, wrong neighbor. Ask the other neighbor. Say, do you have it? Come on, we're talking about passion. Now, 
Now, I, I said all of that, okay, because we're, you say, well, grace of God, you're talking about His presence. What are you talking about? When it comes to God's grace and God's presence, we have to start with this truth. We cannot separate Jesus from grace. We cannot separate Jesus from grace. Grace is not a doctrine. It's not a teaching. Listen, it's not something that we are just supposed to learn. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. Listen, look, look at this verse. John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law, the Ten Commandments, the 600 laws that you read about in, in the Old Testament came through Moses, but what came through Jesus? Grace and truth. When we preach grace, we are preaching Jesus. When we preach Jesus, we are preaching grace. When we preach Jesus, or when we preach grace, we are lifting Jesus up. When we preach grace, we, all men will be drawn to God. Why? Because it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is God's mercy. It's, it's an understanding that God is good even when we're not. How many know that God's been good to you in spite of you? Right? Like he's been faithful even when you've not been faithful. And so we have to preach grace. We have to preach Jesus. Now, people who read the Old Testament, like if, if, you, if you get saved and start reading the Old Testament, you're probably going to wonder, like, what is all the bloodshed about? Right? Like why are they killing so many animals? Why are there so many sacrifices? Well, when you understand that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, no forgiveness of sins, then it helps us to really appreciate the value, not of an animal's blood, but of the Lamb of God, Jesus, His blood, because the same blood that saved you and I, that same blood is still reaching people today. That same blood is still healing people today. That same blood is still setting the addict free today. How many are thankful for the, for the blood of Jesus Christ today? Come on, there's power, wonder-working power, right, in the blood of Jesus. So we know that all the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, they're, they're copies, they're types, they're shadows, that, and they all point to one person, Jesus. That, that's the message of the Bible. Even with all the Old Testament stuff, all, all the, the shedding of blood, all the animal sacrifices, it's all pointing to Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats under the Old Covenant all pointed to the substance of Christ whose blood was shed for us on the cross. That's what calls John to say in John chapter 1 verse 29. It says that John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John declared that Jesus is the Lamb. The question we got to ask is why did John call him the Lamb? John knew that Jesus had to be sacrificed, that he would be sacrificed, that he was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. How many know Jesus being, being crucified, Jesus being slain, was not God's plan B? He was the plan, the only plan. 
Come on, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. So we, we understand that, and John saw it. And, and, and uh, in Revelation 5, check this verse out. It says, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Now that's power, do not weep. Now let's look at why they shouldn't cry. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Now, I'm just going to stop right here and say the lamb is Jesus. Jesus is standing at the center of the throne. He's the only one worthy to open up the scrolls. And with him being the center of the throne, how many of you are thankful that Jesus is still the center of our message? He is the center of Bethesda Church. It, it doesn't matter what else we do. At the end of the day, Jesus is the message. Jesus is grace. And Jesus covers us. Now, everything in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation points to Jesus' death on the cross. That's what it's about. And it is because of his sacrifice that we are under a new covenant, a better covenant. And we got to take some time to, to help people because we have to teach people to look for Jesus even in the Old Testament. A lot of us, we get messed up when we get in the Old Testament and we say we're getting into deep stuff and, and then we get into weird stuff. And Why? Because we leave Jesus out. Anything significant in the Old Testament is going to point to Jesus in the New Testament. It's all about Him. It's all about what He did. It's all about what He accomplished. And so as we compare and contrast the Old Covenant with the New Covenant, there are some conclusions that you and I must draw. One being the old covenant will cause you to look at yourself while the new covenant will cause you to turn and look at Christ crucified. Now, a lot of people are saved, okay? They, they've come to faith in Jesus, but they are trying to live in the new covenant with an old covenant mindset. They, they are still operating under law instead of grace, and this is how I started out. When I first started preaching, y'all wouldn't have walked across the street to hear me preach. And the reason was is because I ministered the law. I got up and thought it was my job to tell people how bad they were. If I could make you feel worse about yourself when you left, I felt like, bam, I did it. It was holiness or hell. It was turn or burn, baby. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. It, it was beat them over the head, whip them, make them feel really, really bad. But what I did not understand was God's grace and, and what Jesus has done. And I'm going to get to a scripture that, that, that will help you um, understand what I'm saying. The old covenant keeps you focused on yourself. And that's a problem. Because when you focus on yourself, you're constantly going to live in either pride or shame. Pride because you did well this week. Shame because you didn't do well this week. You know what I'm saying? It, it's a constant roller coaster of up and down. The Old Testament tells you what's wrong with you, while the New Testament tells you what's right with you because you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're covered. Everybody with me? Now, I know a lot of us, we grew up in the church I, you know, that I grew up in and the way I used to preach. We grew up 
thinking. I, I was that guy that felt like after every church service, I'm going to hell. That's where I'm going. You know, you just walk out, yep, that's me, I'm going to hell. And, and, and so we thought that that's what we were supposed to do. But when you look um, at the Old Testament, here, here's a great parallel. When you're in Christ, you need to give yourself some credit, not because you're good. You need to give yourself some credit because you're smart enough to know you can't do it. That's wisdom, all right? You, you, you know that you don't measure up, but Jesus did. Okay, that's what the gospel message is. Okay, the Old Testament, Moses is the lawgiver. Moses represents law. The first miracle that Moses did was to turn the water into blood. The result of that was death. Okay, so you can see with law came death. The first miracle that Jesus came, all right, he brought grace and truth. He didn't turn water into blood, resulting in death. Jesus turned the water into wine, resulting in the celebration of life, all right? So, so law uh, is all about death and condemnation and shame, but Jesus is all about life and spirit. And listen, people will drive a long way to go to a church where they can find life. And what I have learned by pastoring all these years, a lot of people are leaving places where they only minister the letter, all right? And they're not ministering life and grace. Listen, if you, listen, how many know it's worth a drive to get in an atmosphere where there is life and hope and we understand that it's not about us, but it's about Jesus. Like, it's a powerful truth. And this verse right here, this, this speaks so much to where my heart was back then. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 6, it says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. I thought he had made me competent as a minister of the old covenant. That's not what Paul said. No, he's made us competent as ministers of a new, new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right? So there's a big parallel, big contrast. And, and some of us, we get in our self-righteousness sometimes, and, and man, we're pointing a finger, and we're telling everybody, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Well, when did you meet all the standards? Because if you met all the standards in yourself, then Jesus didn't have to come. The reason Jesus came is because you didn't meet the standard. I didn't meet the standard. No one met the standard of the law. But you know what the scripture says? Jesus fulfilled all the law. He kept it all. He was perfect. He was sinless. That's why he's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And so I don't put my faith in my good works and my ability to be pleasing to God. I'm putting my faith in what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. I'm putting my faith in the finished work of Jesus and what he did on the cross. There my sins were judged. There my healing was provided for. There my miracle can come toward me. Not because I'm good, but because God is good. If you believe God is good today, come on, let's give him a praise in the house today. I feel like preaching. 
It's the third service, and I'm not slowing down. We, we need this. Listen, when God started the covenant with the Jews, he started with a man by the name of Abraham. Now, a lot of us, we think that Abraham was all that and a bag of chips is why God established a covenant. But when you study Abraham out, when God first initiated this conversation, this covenant with Abraham, who would become the father of the faith, Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't even thinking about God. Not like I am God, not that God, not Yahweh, not, not, not the God that we're saying. He wasn't even thinking about God. And God says, I'm going to establish a covenant with Abraham. I'm going to create a people, a nation. You're going to become the father of the faith. And, and, and the thing we have to really grab hold of is he did not establish it based on Abraham's goodness. He established it based on his goodness. Big, big difference. Now, how do you know that, Pastor? Because the law had not been given. When God spoke to Abraham, there was no law. The law had not been given. The law came through Moses. Let me help some of the new people out. Moses came after Abraham. Father Abraham. I'm not going to sing. All right? So, so there was no law for him to keep to be good enough for a covenant of blessing. And God said, I'm just in a blessing mood. I'm a gracious God. I'm going to establish a covenant. It's not based on your goodness. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing to all nations of the earth. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And it's not based on you at all. It's based on me. For my name's sake. How many know we serve a good God? We serve a good God. And so God established the covenant and then the children of Israel became this nation of people, this, this large group of people, and they ended up in bondage. You remember the story in, in Egypt. They're in bondage. And God delivered them, liberated them out of bondage, not because they had kept the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments had not been given. <laughs> We're going to get it in a minute. The children of Israel came out not by the law, they came out by the Lamb of God. Listen, what did they do? They, they sacrificed the Lamb, ate the Lamb, put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, and the death angel passed by. Listen, they came out of Egypt not because they obeyed the law, they came out by the blood of the Lamb. If we're going to accomplish anything, it's not going to be because we're good and we're always obedient and we're always faithful. If we accomplish anything, it's going to be to the glory of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one that makes a way. So he brought him out by his grace. And the Bible tells us that not one single Israelite died when they came out. Now, you got to think, two, three million people, that surely there were some old grandmas ready to kick the bucket. But they took of the lamb, and guess what? Grandma didn't die. God spared all of them and brought them miracle after miracle, and no one dies. And it's a picture of God's grace. And so God rescues them from being slave masters, slaves, and, and he performs all these signs, brings them out, 
And here's the crazy part, because people are people. Miracle after miracle, sign and wonder after sign and wonder, what did they do? They complained. They murmured. And when the Egyptian army is coming behind them and the Red Sea is in front of them, Exodus 14 and 11 says, They cried out to Moses and said, Because there were no graves in Egypt, Pastor Moses has brought us out here to die. Ten plagues, miracle after miracle, no one's dying, everything happening for them. God's doing it all by himself. And the only thing they can muster up when, when, when the army's behind them and the Red Sea's in front of them, there wasn't any graves back there. Moses brought us out here to kill us. Now, the point I'm making is that they continued to murmur and complain, and God's response over and over and over was grace. Check this out. When they crossed over, how many know that our complaints and our murmuring, we don't like talking about it, but it's, those are sins. Oh, we don't want to call it that. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. When we complain and murmur, we, we are in sin. And so that's what they did, but God responded by they complained and murmured, God opened up the sea. They walk across on dry ground. They get to the other side, and instead of just celebrating the miracle not only of the dry ground walking through the middle of the sea and the army being swallowed up behind them, they get to the other side and instead of just celebrating and giving God praise, they come to a place and, and they say, you know what, the waters are bitter. Come on, people are people. They murmured and complained. What did God do? His response was, He turned the bitter waters and made them sweet. What is that? That's grace. They continue on. They're not just praising God for turning the bitter water sweet. They said, Moses, we're hungry now. Feed us. What does God do? Even though they murmur and complain, he rains manna out of heaven. And they eat to their heart's content. They continued to complain. When there was no water, they cried out to Moses and said, hey, Moses, there's no water. They murmured and complained. What was God's response? He brought water out of a rock. The point I'm making is God delivered them. He set them free. He provided for them. He blessed them even though they had murmured and complained all the way. Why did God do that? Because his blessing and his provision was not about their goodness his blessing and provision was all about His goodness. It's what we call grace. Anybody thankful for grace? So we have to remember, He told Abraham, He said, Abraham, there will be a time when my people will go into bondage, but what you need to know, I will rescue them. I will deliver them. Now, we know that grace empowers us. It equips us. And we're all dependent on God's grace. We, we all are. The children of Israel were blessed. They were blessed because of God's goodness, not because of what they had done. 
But everything changed, and I'm going to give you the verse where everything changed. Y'all ready for this? This is where it shifted. Exodus chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. So Moses went back, and he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will do everything. Now, how many of you, don't be lying up in church, how many of you have ever said, God, I'll do everything you say? Now, no, hands down. How many of you have always done everything God said? That's about what I thought. Most scholars believe that this statement that the children of Israel made, we'll do everything you say, was a statement of pride. That we will do everything you say. We won't leave anything out. We will be 100% obedient. And so what happened is, is they were telling God in a roundabout way, stop blessing us based on your goodness and start blessing us based on our goodness. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, you ain't all that. You ain't all that. Up until this point, God was with them. God had fought for them. He had opened up the Red Sea. He had rained manna down, even though they were murmuring and complaining the whole time. But at this moment, the covenant changed from the covenant he made with Abraham to a covenant based on the law. And God went from doing miracles while they complained to saying, if you touch this mountain, you'll die. I mean, that's a big difference. So now what happens? When they disobey, judgment comes. The earth opens up and swallows people. People are dying for disobedience. But they said, we'll do everything you say, God. We got this. We can do it. Everything changed. A great, a great thing to look at is that on the day that the law was given... 3,000 people died. Okay? Three, when, when Moses delivered the law, study it out, on the day the law was delivered, 3,000 people died. But when Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died for you and I, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and when he walked into the heaven, heaven, uh, uh, heavenly mercy seat, he didn't sprinkle the blood of an animal. He sprinkled his own blood poured out the Holy Spirit, and on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people didn't die. 3,000 people were brought from death to life. They were saved. After Jesus died and raised again, listen, he sent the Holy Spirit, and we moved from a ministry of death to a ministry of life. The old covenant brought death. The new covenant brings life. So we have to be careful that we are, we are not depending on our self-righteousness as it relates to God. So from that moment on, when Israel sinned, they paid for it. What they did not understand is that they had to obey all the law. All right? How I many? When it comes to the law, if you want to live under it, you got to obey all of it. If you break one, you've broken them all. James says in James 2 and 10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. Remember, they said, we'll do everything that God says. 
will obey 100% of the time. As soon as the law is given, the works of the flesh start manifesting. And we're no different. Listen, and let, let me explain what that means. The law is given, works of the flesh manifest. If you're walking in a building somewhere and you see a sign on a door that says, do not enter, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to go in. Come on, somebody. If it says private property, don't enter, what's the first thing you, you want to walk on that property? You draw a line and say, I can't, we want to step over there, right? We, we want to show that we can do it. Some of us on the way into Bethesda Church, the parking lot attendants say, go this way. You're like, no, 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 I'm going that way. Why? Because when the law is given, come on somebody, the works of the flesh start manifesting because you may draw a line, baby, and say, I'm not coming up, but we're going to tip over there, right? We're going to test the waters. And so Moses is on the mountain getting the law, and before he can get back down, the first law is, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And before he can get off the mountain and deliver that to the people, they have already set up a golden calf and are worshiping it. Think about it. See, if, we're, if we are going to boast... Let's boast in what Jesus has done. If we're going to brag, let's brag about what he's done. Let's not, let's not talk about all that we've done or all that we've accomplished. At the end of the day, the, the, the law of Moses is called, in the scripture, it's called the ministry of death and condemnation. Which means that if you choose to live under it, you're going to live a life of condemnation and death. Why? Because you can't meet the standard. See how quiet it is? Because y'all grew up in the church I grew up in. We all going to hell. I left every church service thinking, yep, I'm going to split it wide open. <laughs> ministry of condemnation, ministry of death, no hope given. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. There is a reason why Jesus came. The reason is we couldn't keep the standard. The reason is we broke the law before he gave the law. The works of the flesh manifest when law is given. A lot of Christians, though, they, they receive Christ, but their, their mindset is still old covenant. They, they, they fail to see Jesus even in the old covenant. And because of that, here's what happens. Here's what happened in my life, even when I was preaching, you know, hell, fire, and brimstone. I want to make everybody feel bad. What I was doing unknowingly at the time and where I was living is I was keeping people at a distance from God. Because as long as you have an old covenant mindset, you will never experience intimacy with God. You need to tweet that one. As long as you are, are operating in an old covenant, you will not get intimate in your relationship with God. If you think somebody's mad at you or going to judge you, the last thing you're going to do is draw close to that person. You're going you're to put space between you and them. And so I spent most of my time, most of my prayer time, 
When I had that Old Testament mindset, that Old Covenant mindset, most of my prayer time was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. God, I'll never do it again. And I got up and what? Did it again. Lived in a constant cycle of shame, condemnation, no joy, no peace, and no life, all because of an old covenant mindset. The journey from Egypt to Sinai is a picture of grace. The children of Israel murmured and complained. God still blessed. God still did miracles. The good news is, is that you and I are no longer under the law. We have been delivered from the law through the death of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are under a new covenant based on better promises, which means that we can get intimate in a relationship with the Father and we can even bring our mess to Him. Jesus said, if you're tired of carrying the heavy burdens, bring them to me and all your mess and all your sin and all your struggle. And Jesus said, I will give you rest. Aren't you thankful that God's not afraid to get his hands dirty? So our relationship with God is not based on how good we are, but rather how good God is. When we receive who God is, it changes us. My life, do you know some of the things that held me in bondage when I had the old covenant mindset? Some of the things that just seemed like they would not let go of me? And I stayed in a cycle of failure and depression and shame. You, you, you know what happened when I started receiving God's love and God's grace and, and intimacy? You know what happened? Some of those things that held me before started falling off automatically. Why? Because there was no longer distance. Listen, the further you get away from God, the more shackles there'll be on you. And, and, the, and the ministry of the law, the, the, the letter, will kill. The Spirit is what gives life. Now, check this out. If you are trying to live under the law, you are negating what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. What we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I don't need you. I don't need what you did on the cross at all. I can do this in my own power. The old covenant, Exodus 34, says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Check this out. This is the part I wanted to get to. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now we read that, and, and let's just sum it up. In the old covenant, you wasn't getting away with it. Come on, somebody. God was not clearing you, right? He was not covering you. They sinned. What happened to a lot of them? They died. They were punished. New covenant, Hebrews 8. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 10, 17. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now listen, the same God speaking in Exodus says, their sin will not go unnoticed. I will punish. I, I will bring judgment. They will pay for their sin. Same God speaks in the new covenant and says, I will remember their sins no more. Same God. What's the difference? The difference is Jesus 
and the cross. That is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Because on the cross, God judged your sin and my sin, past, present, and future, in the body of Jesus, which means salvation doesn't come by my adherence to the law, lest I should boast, but my salvation comes when I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus. And not only does salvation come, healing belongs to me because by His stripes, I am healed. You all believe that today? I'm telling you, I'm pumped up because we got to get out of an old covenant mindset and see what Jesus has made available. Believers get confused when they don't realize the cross made a difference. It changed the game. Everything changed when Jesus came and died for us. And man, we're we're all tempted. Like, you know, you do something wrong and then you beat yourself up for the next six months. And you say, I'm I'm just going to be miserable on purpose. Because I blew it. And we think that if I stay miserable long enough, then it will make everything better. What you're doing, you don't realize it, what you're doing is you're saying, I can pay for my own sin. You ain't Jesus, baby. You can choose to beat yourself up for the next six months, but it won't make you any more forgiven than if you stand up, shake it off, and move on. Jesus has provided a way. Believers get confused, though. And I'm not insinuating today that there's something wrong with the law. I'm not saying there's something wrong with it. Romans says in Romans 7, it says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? All right? That's a question. Is it sinful? Certainly not. So we know that it's, you know, it's not bad. Check this out. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. He's saying that I wouldn't even know what's right and wrong without God's law. Right? He goes on to say, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So Paul is saying that through the law, we have knowledge of sin. All right? It makes us aware of what's right and what's wrong. But that is all the law can do. It exposes your sin, but it cannot remove your sin. All right, does that make sense? The law can't take your sin away. It can only show you what's wrong in your life. So the law was designed to bring us to the end of ourselves. The law is designed to help us realize that I don't measure up, but I know someone who does. His name is Jesus. He is grace. He kept it. He fulfilled it. I can't do it, but he did it for me. So that's what the law does. The law is holy. While the law is holy, just, and good, it has no power to make us holy, just, or good. Only Jesus' blood and his grace. So we are thankful for the law because it exposes where we don't measure up. It shines light on what needs to change. The problem is, is it can't deliver us. Only Jesus can deliver you. 
So if you're under the sound of my voice and you're struggling to be free and to experience joy and peace and righteousness, all the things that the kingdom promises to those that follow Jesus, it's not going to happen because you crossed, you know, every T and dotted every I and you did everything right this week. It's going to happen because you have put your trust and your confidence in one person. His name is Jesus. He is grace. Are you thankful for God's grace in your life? See, God, God has already done what the law couldn't do. And he did it through Jesus. Hebrews 8.13 says, by calling this covenant new. Now this is going to be a head, head scratcher for some people. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Pastor Chad said the law is obsolete. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated <laughs> will soon disappear. Now this, this, I know, some of you are like, oh my goodness. Why are we fighting to hold on to something that God says is obsolete? The law condemns the best of us, but grace saves the worst of us. Woo! Some of y'all going to be struggling for about a month on this one. Because you've been taught law, law, law. But the Scripture says grace, grace, grace. Under the law, if you break one law, you'll, you're guilty of all. But in the new covenant, if you do one thing right, you're justified of all. What is the one thing right? Put my faith in Jesus. Put my faith in Jesus. Somebody needs to be encouraged today. Maybe you're watching online and you, you've just been discouraged because you're reading the Bible and you're trying to do it all right and you keep making mistakes and it seems like you're getting further and further away from God. Listen, bring your baggage to Jesus. Bring your weaknesses. What did, what, what did God say? He said, in your weakness, my strength is perfected. The areas that we feel that we don't measure up, that we come up short, God says, I will perfect those areas. I will strengthen those areas, but you got to bring it to me. Acts 13, 39, as the worship team comes, because I'm way long today. Y'all all right? Okay. If y'all bored, we can go now. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Does that say every sin? Whoever believes is set free from every sin. A justification, here it is, you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. God is saying, I'm doing something in Jesus that you couldn't even obtain through Moses and the law. It could only be obtained through Jesus, His blood, his grace, I'm going to say it one more time. I may say it ten more times. I am thankful for God's grace in my life. Because when I don't measure up, 
Jesus does. Now listen, the only people going to be mad about this are the self-righteous folk that think that they can do something for their salvation. Man, I'm bold today. The only people going to be mad are self-righteous folk. Listen, if, that, if this message made you mad, you need to come out of self-righteousness. Man, I'm going to be honest with you. The closer I get to God, the, the more I realize how messed up I am. Like, it don't make me feel better. Like, I'm just awesome. I've served God so many years. No, the closer I get to God, I realize, man, He uses me anyway. He uses me anyway. Man, that's mind-blowing. Because I know me. And you may pretend to be all that, and you never made a mistake, and you ain't sinned since Moses gave the law, and that's great. Praise the Lord for you. But that still don't save you. Even if you could do it all, it wouldn't save you. Only by the grace and the blood of Jesus. I'm going to keep hammering this, baby. Only by the blood, even if you could do it all. It's not enough. But Jesus is enough. If you're watching online, Jesus is enough. Come on, if you're thankful for His grace today, come on, I dare you to stand to your feet today. Come on, I dare you to give God a real praise today. Come on, if you're thankful for His grace, His love, His mercy, He's been good to you in spite of you. Man, I've done preached myself happy. Lost my voice in the first service. But I want people to know it's not about us. The old covenant, the old covenant will keep you focused on you and what's wrong with you. The new covenant we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's not about what's right or wrong with us. It's all about what Jesus did. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Colossians 1 and 12. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of life. God has qualified you to be a partaker of His favor, His healing, His prosperity, His love, His joy, and His peace. But it don't come because you're good. It comes because He's good. Would you bow your, eyes, bow your head, close your eyes all over this building? I want to speak to those that are here today, and I know that God is speaking to hearts. Some of us, we've been trapped in religion. And we've never felt worthy enough. Well, because of the cross, He has made you worthy. He has made you righteous. While you were a sinner, Christ died and gave His life for you and I. If you're in this place or watching online and you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus. I've tried it in my own strength. It's left me in shame and condemnation. Today, I really want to give my life to Christ. I want to submit to His Lordship and His goodness, not depend on my own strength. I, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know 
this Jesus you talked about today. I, I need to be saved and I want to be saved. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that's me. I, I want to know Jesus today. Thank you for the hand over here. God bless you. I want to know Jesus. Come on, if that's you, just throw your hand up. Don't miss your moment. Anyone else, you say, that's me. I, I want to know Jesus. I want to leave this place different than I came in. Thanks for that hand back there. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Thanks for this hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Before we pray, another one back here. God bless you. This is awesome. We're getting ready to welcome some people into God's family. Come on, if it's you, throw your hand up. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. Anyone else? Anyone else? Bethesda, let's pray with all these hands that have gone up. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior, but I can't save myself. So Jesus, I put my faith in the finished work of what you did on the cross. I ask you to forgive me, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you so much for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give him a hand clap. Come on, welcome him in to God's family today. Amen. Sorry I preached so long. I don't do that every week, but thankful for all those that made decisions. If you made that decision to follow Christ, would you do me a big favor? We want to follow up with you and connect with you and just help you on your journey. There's an I've decided card. It's a, this size right here and the seat back in front of you. If you could pull the I've decided card out, fill it out, let us know that you made a decision to follow Jesus. We would love to connect with you and just help you on your journey. Take a minute, fill it out. You can leave it in your seat, all right? We'll come by and get it. And uh, we're so happy for you. Can we give it up for those that just made Jesus the Lord? We're excited for you. You don't have to travel this road alone. It's what Bethesda Church is all about. God bless you. I pray you have an awesome, awesome day. Hope to see you again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.